It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Came the dawn. Time to go. <gasps> hey, did you hear that? We're going to England! Ha <laughs> ha! Oh boy, hey Edgar, get your suitcase! Ah! Hey, say, does anybody know what the in-flight movie is? Oh, I hope it's Raider. Their destination? L Street Studios outside London, where Jabba's palace stood empty and waiting for them to land. Hey, did everybody go to lunch? What's going on here? Hey. Hello in TV land. <laughs> they were a bit disoriented at first. Even Salacious B. Crumb, Jabba's right-hand bird. Tim Rose spoke for him. Hey, Edgar. What'd you bring me to a place like this for? Look at all these freaks around here. It's really disgusting. That one over there, I don't even know what it is. Can't tell what's the head and what's the tail. And that Jabba guy. Old Big J, as we call him around here. Well, he's the worst of all. Welcome, Masters and Padawans, to episode 243 of Full of Sin. I am Brian Young. Uh, Mike Pilot is out with some uh, medical uh, issues. He'll be fine. Uh, but uh, we wish him, uh, you know, wish him, wish him well. Wish him getting better. Today on the podcast, we have Holly, uh, as ever. Uh, Holly Fry. Yep. Hi, Holly. Hi. And uh, we have a special guest with us also, uh, Tom Spina. Tom, hello. How are you doing? Hello, how are you guys? We're splendid. Uh, Stupendous. Yeah. Ooh, great uh, S words, guys. So, <laughs> as far as uh, as far as Star Wars fans might know you, they might recognize you from Star Wars celebrations where you're doing uh, the the behind the scenes cantina panels with Pablo Hidalgo. Uh, they might recognize you from. Uh, or at least your work, they'd recognize your work all over the place. You know, uh, even just recently, the Star Wars show did a bit with uh, Battlefront 2 paintball guns that, that your company built. Do you want to just kind of tell us what it is you do generally? Because it seems like a lot. Yeah. Uh, how long is the show? Um, so, yeah, it's uh, we, we actually do a lot of things. So I've got two companies right now. Uh, the first of which is um, someone actually very nicely coined the phrase the Swiss Army Knife Shop. That's Tom Spina Designs. And there you'll find us doing everything from 
making props and um, big themed uh, elements and giant foam sculptures and and doing all sorts of sculpture, anything from a bronze bust to a wax figure to realistic creatures and monsters for commercials and things like that. Um, we also do a lot of restoration and display of original movie props. So uh, we'll work with places like the Lucasfilm Archives, which, by the way, amazing. Um, and we will restore some of these original amazing props that were used in movies. Uh, and in addition to working with archives, we work with uh, private collectors and auction houses. And um, and for me, that's probably some of the coolest stuff we do is getting to work with these original props. Um, and then one of the things we used to do with Tom Safina Designs was uh, home theming and making cool, geeky-themed furniture for people. And that sort of got big enough and, and uh, felt cool enough to make its own business. So now we have Regal Robot, and Regal Robot specializes in uh, furniture, art, and decor. And right now we have the license with Star Wars and Lucasfilm, and we've partnered with them to make a whole line of really cool, high-end, uh, themed furniture, things like the famed Han Solo and carbonite desk and coffee table, uh, among many other things. And we also do all sorts of sculpture and decor and art there. And we've got a lot of really cool stuff in the works, but, um, it's, it's an interesting ride that's, it's only been, uh, open now for about, uh, seven months. And it's, it's been really cool finally sharing all of this stuff with people. You've got I some a... of it. Oh, go ahead, Holly. I was going to say, I have a question right off the bat based on yeah. uh, spinning this off into its own business. How mm-hmm. much of a gear shift has it been for you going from a business that's largely sort of like a private service situation to mm-hmm. suddenly having a retail situation? Because they're very it's, different. Yeah, it is drastically different. Um, I think the more drastic difference, at least for me, um, is sort of on the back end of it where now you're dealing with the rigors of licensing and approvals and things like that. Not that that's necessarily bad. It's just that's a different angle to the stuff we've been doing. You know, usually it was you would make something till the client's happy and, you know, that's the buyer. Now it's you've got multiple people to keep happy. Um, the In terms of the retail side of it, you know, even with Tom Spina Designs, we do have a small retail setup where we do things like, um, we call it like collection protection. You know, it's things like acrylic cases and uh, uh, heads and, and hat toppers and things like that that you can display helmets and uh, things like that on. Um, all these different stands and things like that. They're in the shop page of TomSpinaDesigns.com if anybody wants to go take a look. So we have a handle on like how to handle the mechanics of a retail right. business. Um, but it's a different focus, you know, and it's, it's interesting to have to design broadly, uh, whereas before you could design with someone very specifically. Um, and what's really neat, and this is just me, um, I felt it was really important with Regal Robot that we maintain some of that. So with Lucasfilm, we've gotten the okay to do one-of-a-kind pieces for people and custom pieces for people so they can come to us and we've had a few people do this already and we're working on three pieces right now for an amazing home theater for someone um, where these people came to us and said hey uh, we we're doing this home theater we see some of the stuff you've got and it's cool but we wanted something themed like this dot 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 
Um, and we're able to work with them, come up with concept art, come up with designs that they were excited about, and then take them to Lucasfilm and say, hey, we've got someone that wants to do this as a one-off. And, you know, they've given us the ability to do that. And that's super unprecedented. And to me, like some of the most exciting stuff we get so, to do. So I could go to you and say, mm -hmm. hey, Tom, you know those sculptures from Palpatine's office that they have at the theater at Skywalker Sound? I want some mm -hmm, of those. Mm -hmm. How would I? How would I go about doing that? You could, you could make that happen, or conceivably, conceivably. Like, well, and what I will say is, right now we have the license for classics, uh, so that's four, five, and six, um, and the solo movie coming up. Um, we don't have the prequels at the moment, um, but you never know what's coming. It's um, interesting that they parsed and, that out. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have guessed that. Yeah, and that's just kind of uh, par for the course with licensing and, and the various mechanics of it. Um, for us, I you know, there's plenty of inspiration in 4, 5, and 6. So if you wanted to say, you know, pick a piece of sculpture in the movie and say, how about the, um, oh, the Rancor sculpture that's on the wall in the, uh, the sail barge that Jabba's got? It's an obscure one, but... Um, you know, or something along those lines. We could definitely talk about that. There is also a little bit of a line that the uh, licensing folks like to draw where it's, you know, a difference between an art piece and a replica of a prop, which could push it into another company's purview. But, uh, purview. but um, there's, there's a lot of stuff we can do. We push into this sort of inspired by territory. Um, but usually there's a way to say like, okay, you know, what is this cool piece? What are they inspired by? What are we inspired by because of it? And what new thing can we come up with based on that? That's you've just spent sent my mind spinning into a hundred different directions of stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, and if anybody else's mind is spinning like that, when you go to regalrobot.com, there's a big button right on the front page that says custom Star Wars. And you can go there, it tells you a little more about the process. And there's a request form there where you can punch in a few a few details. It sends us a request through the website, and uh, we get it. We get a conversation going, and then we can talk about, um, you know, commissioning some concept art and getting that process started with you, and, and basically figuring out, okay, your mind is going in a hundred different places. Let's find a handful of those that are amazing, and let's figure out some way to realize them. So I want to ask some about. Um, what got you into, for anyone who has seen one of your panels with Pablo about sort of the archaeology of the cantina, what, uh -huh. what sent you down that path in the first place? Um, that's a great question. I, it's, you know, uh, I think for me, um, it's, it's hard to think of a time where I wasn't on that path. Um, it's certainly it escalated recently, um, recently being the last, you know, uh, 10, 15 years or something like that. And I probably have Pablo to blame for some of that. Um, but, you know, for me, that scene was always just a massive inspiration. Um, I was a kid who, you know, loved the Wizard of Oz, loved King Kong, loved Mighty Joe Young. Um, in fact, Mighty Joe Young, King Kong, sometimes Son of Kong would run on uh, Channel 9 out here every Thanksgiving. Uh, and I sometimes, you know, as a really young kid, I thought it was just one long monkey movie. 
And <laughs> I was so excited. Like, oh no, he fell off the Empire. Oh no, he's fine. You know, like, no, that's not him anymore, Tom. That's Joe Young. It's like, whatever. <laughs> um, but so it's, you know, I, I loved all of that. And I, and even as a kid, I was obsessed with how it was made. Um, and, and, you know, other friends would be into these characters, into these movies, into the stories. Uh, you know, Star Wars comes around, they want to be Luke Skywalker. And I'm like, you know, I'm the kid who wanted to be the makeup guy. You know? <laughs> um, it's like, I didn't know what the job was. I didn't know who the people were. Um, you know, I didn't know Stuart Freeborn or Rick Baker or anything like that. But I just knew someone made cool stuff for these movies and so i just kind of always said to myself like i want to be the guy that makes cool stuff and that's that's you know (laughs) somebody wants to know the mission statement in my life it's make cool stuff um and you know that scene when you go from (laughs) things like the wizard of oz and um uh and these other movies there's they've set a certain bar um and they're fantastic but then you get to Star Wars and that just, you know, blows everything wide open. Um, and for anybody who was into monsters to have that entire scene filled with so many creatures and, uh, and, and just have this, you know, eye opening experience, it's, it imprints but, on you. <laughs> but I mean, you, you and Pablo have delved into that particular scene to a level of detail that like your, your forensic experts, like, Hey, based on these <laughs> shoes and this photograph here, we know that Phil Tippett was probably this member of the modal nodes. You know, it that... was John Berg. And yeah, he's the one with the big one with the speaker on at the band. So anyway, um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. The, you know, there's a smoking gun. We have smoking shoes. Um, it's true. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, oh gosh, there's just so much smoke and mystery about that scene. And the cool thing is it's not well documented. Um, it's reasonably well documented, but you know, not like they do with the new movies. There, nobody scanned every character. There are some of them that never even got a photograph. Um, you know, nobody has a list of all the actors that were on set each day. Uh, the And in fact, the reshoots, there's questions of whether it was a single long day or if it was two days um, and things like that. And, you know, and even just the fact that there were reshoots so that you have whole series of aliens that weren't in the original set. Um, and it's just, you know, it's a really cool puzzle uh, to and... and certainly a great place to play how many how many actors are still unidentified as far as you and pablo and your your official research um there's there's a good handful i mean i i would have to say so there's two different sort of types of unidentified there are um characters that you know some usually aliens and masks and things like that that we just don't know who was under the mask um, and there's probably, oh, a good 10 or 15 of those. Um, then there are human actors who we know from certain production documents were probably on set, um, that were supposed to be face characters, uh, guys either in, you know, just subtle makeup and things like that. Um, 
that we're not able to find on set. And then there are people that we see on set that don't match up with the few actors' names who we do have. Um, so you've got these sort of various degrees of unidentifiedness. <laughs> um, you know, people in masks, we don't know who's under there. People whose faces we see, but we don't know who they are. And people who we know who they are, and we know they're supposed to be there, but we just can't find them. It's so fascinating. I mean, how many hours of panels have you, whether it's at Star Wars Celebration or Salt Lake Comic Con right. or other shows like that, um, where, you, where you all just present all this stuff, and it's I've never not been blown away by any of these presentations. Thank you. I The cool thing to me is that you know between Pablo and myself and then you know, there's we've infected other people <laughs> with this um and i'm just amazed that we keep finding new stuff you know every time we do a panel i start with you know okay well what was the last one and i load that up in the powerpoint you know in in, in keynote there and i start going through and saying like okay then I go to my file that I've been keeping since the last one. I try and anytime I spot something new or publish it, find something or somebody posts a new picture or whatever, I throw it in my for the next panel folder. Um, and almost every time we wind up with so much new stuff that I'm having to pull a ton of old stuff out. And I'm like, how do we still have this much new stuff? This movie was 40 <laughs> years ago. Um but, you know, it's a gift that keeps on giving. It's amazing. What has been the biggest revelation for you along the way? Like, what was the one find that you uh, went, holy Moses? Okay, so the sign outside the cantina. Um, there is, when you watch Luke and uh, going into the cantina, watch Ben, and uh, in particular when they cut outside, I think when C-3PO and R2 are out there, when the first snitch comes out, um, there is a lit perspex sign over the door um you'd never get a really good look at it in the movie in fact the best look at it in the movie is from uh when the land speeder is first pulling up from far away um but so and we know it's there and we've always seen it called out on blueprints and things like that but we had no idea what was on this sign and uh going through the lucasfilm archives we would find little pieces of it and eventually um, it was Roger Christian, I believe, who had a photo of it when they were setting everything up. Uh, and we were able to see clearly what the graphic on the sign was. Um, and roughly it looks like a retro, like 80s computer font for the letters SPGA. So hashtag Spaga, everybody. That's it. <laughs> No clue what those might be in reference to. Not at all. No. <laughs> Actually, Pablo posted something on Twitter today that was, uh, he thought it was oh. referencing uh, the, the hotel. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, it was Starwood um, preferred amenities or preferred guest amenities. or Guest something. amenities. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's as good as any other guests. <laughs> but I love all the, I mean, I love going through that first movie and looking at all the different logos, I love that it was pre-Arabesh because I feel like everything now is just so locked in on that. Um, and you look and there's not a lot of straight up writing, but it's a ton of just symbols and interesting shapes and really cool logos. Um, just 
brilliant, sharp graphic art stuff that, that just I absolutely love. And, you know, look at the ships, look at the speeders, look at the cups in the cantina, <laughs> look at the helmets of all the pilots. There's all these cool logos everywhere. And I just love that that level of detail and variety was put into this world, even on this low budget movie that nobody thought was going to make anything, you know. What what do you think that's a testament to? I think just the um, the passion of the people working on it. The the you know that nobody. I love things where you know, I love seeing people that don't waste the crea- a creative opportunity. Um, you know, these were people that had this task put in front of them, and they could have phoned it in. <laughs> you know, um, they didn't have to put all that stuff on there, but somebody just was like shit this is cool um i can say shit right uh, well you have now darn it um, <laughs> too late, huh? late. <laughs> yeah uh, so someone said golly this is cool <laughs> um and you know and ran with it and was like i'm you know well what could i put here uh the, the, this you know you gave these these collection of brilliant artists this huge blank canvas and they went to town and it's awesome that they did that's why people like Pablo and I and you guys have stuff to talk about 40 years later. Um, it's interesting. I went to a, a well, I, I moderated a panel that Nick Bailey did um, mm. at Dragon Con this year. And I thought, hey, I've seen Tom and Pablo's panel. I'm going to know plenty of this stuff and just be able to. <laughs> to and he just brought like totally different things to the table. But yeah, that, that passion that was there where it was like, we're just guys who do this. This is our thing and we're going to yep. make it awesome. And, and there wasn't uh you know, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, it. Star Wars. You're right. Sort of changed a lot where back in this time, it was just like, you know, maybe they'd come visit a few times or whatever, and they were just making whatever they could to, to piece the the film together, you know, where now, yeah. now it's, you know, there's, there's a production team of a hundred and everything needs to have a stamp of approval before it makes it to the movie. Back then it was right. just like, Hey, what can we slop together that looks rad? And what have we already yeah, yeah. done that we can alter? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I love that sort of reuse too. Now, and Nick is outstanding. Um, he joined Pablo and I for the first panel we did. It was Nick and John Berg joined us. Um, and that was a 90 minute panel and such a fun time. And, and both of those guys are wonderfully entertaining storytellers and have so many great stories that I, we could do a dozen panels you know, with each of them and probably only have scratched the surface. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's, it's interesting too how disposable it all was. Like again, mm. like it didn't it changed later where there are Lucasfilm archives now, you know what I mean? But Yeah. Back then, I mean, is that part of the problem in, in researching stuff? Is that so much of this stuff just vanished into thin air? To a degree, yeah. You know, the costumes were rentals and went back into the rental stock and then were rented out for fancy dress parties and sold at boot sales and things like that. And, and, you know, just disappeared. Um, I'm sure there were dozens of costumes from the first movie that were unidentifiable to the general public at the time and just sold off, destroyed, whatever. Um, uh, 
you know, but maybe those costumes might have had a tag in with an actor's name that you might have been able to then find in another movie and piece together. Um, the I'm actually impressed with even with the disposable nature of the props and sets and everything, the uh, costumes and everything that went into this movie. I'm impressed with how much of it is still around. Um, you know, most of the cantina aliens, uh, the, the heads and things like that, the masks are still around. There's a handful of them missing, but, um, most of that stuff survived. And a lot of it is just because the people who made it after the movie kept it, which is very typical with, uh, effects guys. Um, even on recent movies, you know, if you look at the Rick Baker auctions that prop store did, um, you know, he kept all of this stuff that he worked on for these movies for decades. Um, and Stuart was the same way, Stuart Freeborn. And so, you know, the, these teams of people worked on things and they were like, at least, you know, thankfully for us, they thought this stuff was cool enough to keep and cool enough not to have stripped down to the bare, bare mechanics and reused them elsewhere. <laughs> well, I was going to say how much of that was probably reuse where you look at like Greedo's mask was or like the Rodians were masks yeah. for a different project, right? And they just grafted all of the that's other right. yes. bits and bobs on Stuart used that's right. Stuart had these these Martians, these peapod aliens he called them. Uh, from a, uh, we're told it's a bird's IP commercial. You want to talk about one of like the mysteries we're still wondering about <laughs> someone find us this commercial, please. Um, it's, you know, and, and we have a really cool picture that Stuart had of how they used to look before. Um, and yeah, he had these peapod alien heads and they added the snouts and the ears and the, um, the antenna and the mohawk and all of that stuff and Lovely all of bumps. the little warts. Yeah. Um, and, um, and, you know, turned it into something iconic, um, which is just super cool in its own right. Stuart was a pack rat. Um, yeah, when he retired, he still had a box of wampa fur. Um, <laughs> in case. Just in case. Yeah. <laughs> you just, well, because it was, it was really nice white sheep and goat fur that you could probably use for all kinds of things. And I'm sure. Throughout the years, whenever he needed white hair or white fur and stuff, he was digging into that box. <laughs> um, and but like that's that's the way you do it. Every studio, you know, every effect shop, you go in there. We've got boxes of eyeballs, boxes of tongues and teeth and things like that. You just you don't throw it away because someday you're going to need to make a creature in three days because that's sort of the time frame people give you these days. Um, and you're going to go. All right, what have I got? <laughs> as far as this stuff goes, uh, you're also yeah. doing a lot of restoration, so you're getting a lot of this old stuff and yeah. making it so that we can continue having it. Um, how Which did is... how did you start that? And 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 tell me what what that's like. Um, so that uh, that I'm, there's actually a little bit of another Star Wars and Stuart Freeborn tie-in with that, but. Um, it began with just, you know, me caring for my own collection, um, because I'm a, I'm a prop collector myself. I love, uh, <laughs> go figure, screen used cantina masks of all things. Um, but <laughs> those uh, can't at be the cheap. time I was, those are, you, you just get them for, yeah, usually next to nothing. Um, but, uh, the, you know, it's, what's interesting is the, the way collections grow and evolve and, um, I got into collecting at a really good time. Um, it has since 
really blossomed as a as a hobby and a a lot of people are now involved in collecting original things i think for a long time people didn't know they could um i certainly didn't know i you know would think i was lucky to have the don post cantina band member mask or the don post weekly mask how cool is the don post weekly mask um you know and and i would love all of those things and i still do but um eventually you know you start meeting folks that uh, either made things for the movies or you meet folks that have collected these things and you start to realize, you know, wow, you, some of these original things are still around and, you know, everything's not just in the Lucasfilm archives or, uh, wherever. Um, and, you know, so maybe you start transitioning from replica stuff or in my case where I was making all my own replica aliens and things like that. Um, and, you know, opportunities come up and uh, you can start to add some of the real stuff to a collection. Um, but in doing so, you start to realize these are materials that aren't meant to last and they need very specific care. Um, I had uh, anybody who makes masks and monsters for a living learns how to fix masks and monsters because it's sort of part of the process. You never get a perfect casting out of a mold. There's always some flaw that needs to be touched up. Um, and... The that sort of process and uh, um, starting to encounter these original props and starting to care for my own uh, got me a bit of a, a name for doing that. Um, and when Stuart Freeborn was retiring and Prop Store was helping him find homes for, you know, all of this material that he had kept over the years, uh, there were these four Ugnots that had been stored with old newspaper inside of them that had just kind of sucked the moisture out of these poor masks. Um, and, uh, my good friend, Brandon Allinger, who's now with prop store, actually, he runs their LA operation. Um, he said, you know, let's see if we can save these. And, uh, he asked me to restore them. And I was, uh, you know, it's, it's like someone wrote it. I'm like, I, I don't want to ruin them was my reaction. And his reaction was they're already ruined. You know, <laughs> like there there's, I'm afraid they're going to get thrown away if, if we don't try something. And it was great that he did because it, it wound up, um, being the sort of thing that I had not just a skill for, but a passion for. Um, and, uh, it's, you don't want to learn on screen used Empire Strikes Back masks. I don't recommend <laughs> it. Um, it causes you lots of nights of very little sleep and things like that. But, um, but it worked out really well. And I, uh, sort of came up with this approach and, 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 uh, came up with this, um, very, uh, one of my friends calls it sympathetic approach where, you are doing the least you can. You're, you're really focused on conserving the piece more so than restoring it. Um, and only in cases that really require it, or if you have a client who really wants to push it further, uh, you know, do you go further? And when we do restore areas that are missing, we do it faithfully. We try and make sure that you're sculpting like the person who sculpted the piece sculpted. Uh, we are doing it with materials that are archivally safe and, um, it's, it, it is an offshoot of, do you guys know who Jack Pierce is? I, I don't please enlighten us. Okay. So Jack Pierce is the creator of the Frankenstein makeup, uh, in the 1930s. And 
tons of other amazing looks. Um, and when you look at the stuff he was doing, and even in, oh gosh, is the monkey talks, was that him too? Where he's doing all of this with what we would call build up, uh, where he's not sculpting something in clay and then making a mold and casting it in material or anything like that. He was building all of this right on the actor's faces. And he was using things like collodions and cotton and things like that. Um, and collodion is not really the ideal material, uh, these days anyway. Um, so what I sort of thought was like, well, if he was able to get that kind of look every day out of these faces, um, with just buildup, why can't I use a buildup method, but using archival materials instead of collodions and stuff like that and build in to fill in the gaps on these masks that, uh, and, and props that we're restoring. And that was really the spark of it all. Um, and the finishing touch on any of these is, uh, and it is the most painstaking and almost painful part of it, um, is when we do touch up the paint on those cracks and gaps that we've filled, we only paint the crack. We only paint the bit we did. We don't repaint the whole thing. We try not to go outside the lines, so to speak. Um, so that means your paint match has to be perfect and aged and old and dirty and dusty and however the rest of the mask looks. Um, and it's absolutely the most challenging part of the whole process, but it is so worthwhile and it leaves you with, um, as much of that prop puppet gremlin mask monster that saw film remains. Um, so that if someday some crazy person is talking at a Star Wars panel and figures out that that alien had a little bit of latex that was dangling off his lip, they'll be able to find it 40 years later and say, yep, that's <laughs> the same mask Because look at that. Um, what would you say has probably been, in your opinion, the most important piece of Star Wars restoration you've done? Would it be those Ugnaughts or have there been other pieces? Oh, they're, um... I love the Ugnaughts because they are just so ugly. Um, um, the, it, I think there there have been a real number of them we've worked on. Uh, there are certainly some pieces that we've worked on for the archives that would rank as the most important pieces. Um, the only one I can really mention, um, and we did share a picture of this. We got the okay just to share it at Salt Lake City. I don't have it. It's not on the website or anything like that. But we restored the original Max Rebo, um, and that was really, really cool. And also possibly one of the most challenging things we've ever done. Um, and it was uh, uh, Kirk Thatcher um, and uh, Pablo at, were on. We did a Return of the Jedi panel uh, talking about the Jabba's Palace aliens for the most part, and then some of the other aliens from the movie. And, um, yeah, they, they kind of talked a little bit about Max's condition before we started our work. Um, but, uh, it was, it was a really, really cool save to, to be done and to have him. And, and, you know, he's looking back at you and, and just ready to play. <laughs> what was, what was challenging about that particularly? Just, um, yeah, it's down to the way he was made. Um, he was a fabricated piece, uh, which means there were no molds for his shape or anything like that. He wasn't cast in a thick material. He was carved out of what they call reticulated foam, 
uh, Scott foam for short, um, which is like the air conditioner filter foam. Um, so if you, you probably have seen footage of Phil Tippett with a pair of scissors snipping at a black Max Rebo shape. Definitely, um, definitely seen that. Right? Yeah. So that is, that's how Max started. He was this thing of foam that they carved down with scissors and, and knives and things like that. Uh, it's kind of the way they make a lot of them up at characters and things, uh, back in the day. Um, and then he was skinned with latex and foam latex skin. Um, and, the challenge is reticulated foam turns to this speckly mush. Um, and so what we sort of inherited on that was, um, you know, Max's skin, to, for the most part, was still in fair condition. Um, but Max's internals were what where the challenge was. And so we had to recreate his form in a longer lasting material uh, that we could then fit inside to refill his skin and then touch up the skin as needed. Um, it was just a lot of uh, challenge in getting that fit right and, and making that work um, and especially make it work in a way that was going to continue to support the piece and not stress things like the connections where his ears connect or his snout or things like that and to support his hands and all of these other things. Um, but it was, it was really cool. Muff tack was another, the, he might be my favorite thing ever. <laughs> um, I mean in life, not just, uh, no, um, but he, <laughs> with good uh, reason, Muff tack is lovely. Isn't he? Um, yes. I with his little sausage snout and everything. He's the I best. He's so cool. And, uh, and he's, he's currently owned by, Two of the most amazing people in the world, Bob and Kathy Burns. And, um, we, you know, we put a lot of effort into saving Muff Tack for, for Bob and, and Kathy and, and just, uh, and, and even for Rick, you know, Rick Baker, who, uh, his crew made it. It was late, the late Lane Liska, uh, made Muff Tack. Um, and, uh, it was based on a, a Ralph McQuarrie sketch. And it's just one of these things where it's so cool to just for all the replicas that have been made for all the replicas we've made, uh, you know, we recreated him for a, a Volkswagen commercial and then used him again in a thing with Billy D Williams on Nerdist. And uh, we've used him in a few other commercials and things like that. And um, for all of that, that we had done and to feel like, Hey, we've got a muff tack. Here he is. It's sort of the same. And then the real one shows up in the studio and it's, it's just so cool. Well, um, that's actually a question I wanted to ask is, as you're getting to restore all this original stuff, are there things mm -hmm. that are surprising you or that you're learning for your own work or for recreation stuff? Like you do, uh, you do a lot of that, that recreation kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Like how much are you learning and incorporating into what you're doing in the future? You're, I think you're always learning something. You know, anytime you see a piece in person, um, there is there is something about that piece that will that you will see that you will then later never unsee. Um, <laughs> I I liken it to okay. Do you guys remember the first time you noticed that Darth Vader had alternating silver panels, gunmetal panels on his mask, right? And that it wasn't all black. Um, 
to me, it's like that. Like I went through the first 20 years of my life knowing Darth Vader's mask was all black, you know, <laughs> and then you see one of them in person and you go, what the what? You know, like, how how did I know? No, that can't be. And then you go and look at the movie and it's like right there in your face. Like <laughs> There it is. Yep. Silver and black. How did I never notice this big cheek? You know, how? Um, It's sort of like that. You know, anytime you see an original, uh, an original prop in person, there's always some cool detail that you take away from it. Uh, I imagine that because a lot of the people making those original props were so sort of improvisational in their styles um, Mm. and in figuring things out that you end up seeing things like you would never, for example, learn in a class. Right. That's, you know, it's funny. I always, um, the hardest thing in the world is to sculpt a replica, but loosely, um, (laughs) you know, you can either, it's it's so weird, but like I can tell the difference between a tight sculpt and a loose sculpt, if that makes sense. And I see it all the time. And, and when we're making our recreations of Cantina Aliens for commercials or whatever, um, I'm obsessed with getting the vibe right and the feel right. And, you know, the proportions are so important and all of that. Uh, but when it comes to the wrinkles and the detailing and things like that, you can either struggle to put every single line in exactly the right place or you can capture the feel of it and sculpt it loosely and still look 95 percent of the way there but the feel will take it the rest of the way whereas if you had sculpted it perfectly every single line it won't have that rushed loose feel to it that these original sculpts have and there's just always going to be something off about that mask um, Greedo's a really tough one like that. You know, when we did ours, uh, we, um, probably redid the texture on his snout four or five times. <laughs> um, and it was, it's a really unique pattern and it was, it was really challenging to say like, okay, what am I seeing? Are these like parentheses that are crisscrossing each other? Are they diamond shapes? Are these lines that are intersecting and just creating the look of these shapes? Um, and it, it eventually came down to, you know, it's almost like just close your eyes, relax, and do it. And, you know, it was when we went at it more relaxed that we felt like, oh, okay, no, that feels right now. Um, and, and, you know, there's, there's something to be said for just vibe. There's there, there's some other stuff that you've sort of had a hand in that people would recognize or notice or or maybe not even notice. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was your um, involvement in what became a really weird uh, cultural uh, moment, which was the the math the radar technician sketch on oh. Saturday Night Live. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That really did become like a moment, didn't it? It's like a moment that's still going, too. There were a lot of Matt the Radar techs at Salt Lake this year yeah. still. Yeah. They're at every, <laughs> they're at every yeah. convention. It's awesome. Um, that was, you know, and it's funny. I don't want to overstate our involvement in it. We were um, really fortunate. You know, we got the call from... Um, uh, I, uh, someone at Lucasfilm who 
had been recommended to us because they needed to send the original Kylo costume to Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live in New York, and we were in New York. Um, and obviously, we had been working with Lucasfilm quite a bit, and they trusted us, which was very nice. <laughs> um, and, you know, the question was basically, hey, can we send you the screen-used Kylo Ren costume uh, from the movie we just released uh, to uh, go dress Adam Driver for a Saturday Night Live <laughs> sketch in, like, a day and a half. Like, it was literally that quick. Um, and, you know... That's a that's an easy yes. Right. Um, that was not a, a hard question for us. Um, so, yeah, you know, big box comes with the Kylo costume in there. And um, and, you know, we get to the, the, the soundstage and, and yeah, uh, really, really cool night. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> that was definitely one of the cooler, fun experiences that we've had. And it was uh, apparent even on set that it was working. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. s- s- I don't know, you know, sometimes you're involved in stuff and you go and you shoot it and you're like, well, we'll do the best we can. Um, and then other times you're there and you're like, oh, oh, okay, no, this is, this works. This is funny. Um, and, and, and it really was. And, you know, Adam was fantastic. Uh, he it was shot late at night they had already had a long day of rehearsing in the city and they came out to um uh, a place just over the bridge on the island uh, where they were shooting this and uh it was late i want to say it was 10:30 by the time he got there uh at night and just starting to shoot they shot real late into the night and um it was it was just awesome <laughs> you know we laid out the costume we were there early, so we got to sort of lay it out and try and f- – there were no instructions. Um, it's just a ball of fabric. And, <laughs> well, yeah. You know, like, good luck. Uh, it was a thing of yarn and a couple of needles. Like, right. Well, and he has so many layers to that costume that you have yes. to figure out the order everything goes on. Correct. And, you know, part of the reason they wanted us there was not just to make sure that the costume was cared for and didn't – you know, nothing went missing or whatever. That was part of it. But – because they knew that we weren't going to let him go out there with, you know, the the tunic on in the wrong order and right. you know, whatever. Which is which it's is got to so... go in the first order. Sorry. <laughs> which um, is funny because all the the all the stormtrooper armor that they used, it was all just TK armor and first order helmets. That if yeah, it, it was, was it was like Ruby's armor, I think, yeah. and and you know, store bought helmets and things. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Kylo but, had to be right. But, I, yeah, I guess so. And that's and, the money know, shot. I, it has to be perfect. Good on them. Yeah. What was really okay? So here's you know confession time. I didn't care for the Kylo mask when I first saw it, not in person, but like in the on the trailers and things like that. Um, I felt it, it. To me, the look of it felt a little generic. It felt a little you know Darth Revan EU old time not my thing sort of thing. Um, however, seeing it in person, uh, like, you know, complete change, uh, complete turn on me. Uh, and especially on Adam, there is when he got in that costume and we put that neck piece on, which by the way, has about 4,000 snaps and hooks. 
Um, <laughs> I don't know. And, and each of them overlaps and it took us for, ever to figure out how that thing went together and luckily we figured it out before adam showed up so we weren't like holding him up but uh when he got that neck thing on there's this regal look to him there's this you know nobility to that high collar um and then you know the helmet goes on and that that rough cape comes in with the hood and instantly it was menacing as all hell um it was really really cool uh and, and i was sold on that costume that mask from then on um so it was just adam's presence more than the the design or or was seeing it there in a 3d sort of space no i think seeing it in a 3d space and just in that context of the whole suit i think the mask on its own is okay but really in context um and certainly on adam yeah it's it's um it really, it just changed my opinion of it. Uh, it was, it was pretty neat. I have a weird detail question. Sure. His uh, little pleated arms of his tunic. Does mm-hmm. do those have a zip closure at the wrist? Because it looks Ooh. so fitted through there, but yeah, it doesn't look like it has any give to it. So I was wondering if it went on and then had a some sort of invisible zip or something. I'll be honest, I don't remember. <laughs> I'll I'll have to look at my secret photographs. Now, um, I'll, I'll yeah, I'll have a think on that and let you know. But I don't recall one, but it's not unusual, you know, in film wardrobe to have those sort of hidden zips. Yeah. Just curious. Yeah. No, but you're right, because it's really snug at the wrist and then flares out a little at the hand. So, yeah. you know, it's it's one of those. Uh, and it is. It's a tough material. It's not. It doesn't have a lot of good. That costume weighs a ton, too. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, <laughs> Just yeah. in fabric? Could, yeah, there's so many layers and all of that fabric and everything is just thick and heavy and uh, it's got to be just so uncomfortably warm for him to be in there. Yeah, all of that pleating will add up in a hurry. Like it yes. will, you know, it's like if you took a shirt and you were holding it, you would go, hey, this is a shirt. It's not so heavy. But if you took three of those and stitched them together, you would be like, this has, has a little bit of heft now. So right. it's like that. And then you layer that three or four times. Right. There's <laughs> a pleated skirt that goes with it. And, you know, yeah. Then you put sure. a cape on him and then a giant heavy helmet. Right. The helmet we had was pretty light, uh, which was kind of neat. Oh, you know what, though? So this one confused us at first. So we're laying out all the parts. And there is an all black, um, you know, like a, a twill cloth uh, or, or uh, nothing fancy cloth. No weathering, no distressing or anything. Sort of hooded robe with it. And we're like looking at it. And we're trying to figure out, like, is this an underlayer somewhere? Is this, you know, and what it turned out to be was it was the robe that they used to put on him to hide him from the press when they were walking him to and from set <laughs> when they were shooting the movie. And that just came to us with the costume. And I was I like, it. oh, OK, that makes a lot more sense. That's really funny. So uh, there's other stuff you've done. I'm curious about the, um, the Chewbacca you put together uh, for Adam Savage. That guy. That guy. Um, yes. <laughs> He's 
awesome. He is. We've had um, him on the show before, and and we just nerded oh, out cool. about his Phantom Menace work, which I'm a huge uh-huh. nerd for. <laughs> uh, yes, you are. Um, he's. Uh, I just. I love his level of curiosity. I think that is so admirable, uh, and and like to this day. After all of these years and doing all of these things and being so many, such a, a part of so many things, he is still infinitely curious about everything that comes in front of him, and I love it. Um, uh, yeah, he, you know, he hit us up at just the right time. We were in the process of doing a number of Chewbacca projects for various different things. Um, one of which was helping Inovos with creating a skin for a prototype they were working on to possibly do like a, um, a, a mass produced Chewbacca. They actually finally finished up a prototype that was at last San Diego Comic Con. I don't know what else is going to happen with that, but, um, so, you know, uh, and then there were a couple of other things that were going and then Adam hit us up and he said, Hey, you know, I've always wanted a really good Chewbacca mask to go with this costume I've got. And uh, Frank Ippolito put us uh, back in touch. He and I had talked decades, not decades, but well, could be decades at this point. Um, Back on the RPF, um, which is, if anybody doesn't know of it, it's the most amazing group of makers and prop enthusiasts in the world. Uh, There's a Facebook group, the Replica Prop Forum. Look for the Facebook group. And then it is the RPF.com for the regular forum. Um, Brandon Allinger started it years ago. I ran it for a little while. Now Art Andrews runs it and is amazing. Um, but Adam and I used to talk about the Grail Diary from Indiana Jones because I was making one and I knew he was working at Lucasfilm at the time in the in like uh, one of the image libraries or something. And uh, he had been to the archives and seen the real diaries, and I would pick his brain for uh, you know information. Um, and then. You know, this, this Chewie project sort of put us back in touch and he uh, uh, wanted a fully functional mask. He wanted to make sure that the lips would curl and all of that stuff. And um, I just loved the opportunity to say, like, you know, here's our chance. Like, I, I felt like no one ever really um, nailed uh, uh, on, a, on a fan level. Like, no one had nailed a good recreation of Chewie and... I just thought, like, you know, what a cool opportunity to try and really recreate that mask and be faithful to what Stuart Freeborn did, um, but maybe use some more modern materials because Adam wants to troop with it and it needs to hold up uh, to some more abuse. Um, and uh, so, yeah, with uh, Steve Richter at the studio um, and myself and a number of other people in the studio helped out and... Um, Michelle Nairi, who does a lot of hair punching for us, did the hair punching on the face for it. Um, you know, we just basically set about making the best Chewy we could possibly make. And uh, I'm just, I love how it came out. And I'm, I love how much Adam loves it. <laughs> um, he's uh, just, uh, it was really nice to, to finish it and show him and, and just see the excitement that, that it brought him. And um, it was a super fun project. With the the Chewie mask, um, I, I got to ask Nick Maley this a little bit, but like even he seemed a little bit mystified by how, not mystified, but it seemed like all of the information about that mask had just sort of receded into time in his brain. Um, mm. 
just how the mouth worked and how the the mouthpiece worked and how normally in films uh, where you'd have an appliance like that, you know, you'd have four guys with cables on the other side snarling the lip and stuff. Right. But it's, yeah, it's all Stuart. I mean, it is the genius of simplicity. Um, you know, complex solutions are great, but simple solutions are genius. And that's Stuart Freeborn to me. Um, when uh, I've, I've been very fortunate, we've worked on some of the 2001 apes. Uh, we got to restore one of them head to toe. Um, and the mask for the 2001 ape uses the same mechanics as Chewbacca. Which is um, how he got the job, right? I, I don't doubt that that was a huge part of it. Absolutely. Um, the, you know, the, the mechanics are, um, unbelievably simple and, uh, almost primitive in how they're fashioned. Um, but because of that, they are supremely lightweight, um, wonderfully flexible, which is super important on this sort of stuff. And, um, just, uh, you know, look at that movie. Look at, especially the, I mean, you know, the first one where this was the first time he's making that character. You don't ever for a minute, or at least I don't ever for a minute go, that's ah, a guy in a mask. Like you just don't. It's Chewbacca. Like it's just, he's just a character. He's just there. Um, and there's not, it's not a crazy complicated mechanism or anything like that. It's, it's literally, strings and rubber bands and little flaps made out of dental acrylic that you know open the jaw it pulls on the string it curls the lip and one of them is a tighter string than the other so the one curls more and it gives them some character um and then the lower lip pushes out because it's a little bit ape-like and that's an apey thing um you know but it's there's there's when you look at it it just works so well um, and I'm sure a, a lot of that is testament to Peter's portrayal as well. Uh, definitely. So, so recreating that though, um, oh, it's <laughs> well, right. It's right back to sculpting tight, you know, <laughs> it's <laughs> right back to how do we do this loosely? Because Stuart was, you know, he was just doing it. And, you know, some of the cool stuff I saw in, uh, you know, looking at the real masks and things like that and looking at Stuart's work is just the way that he blended the colors and the way that he layered the colors and how he tied the brown color to the darker gray color that's on there and how he, uh, how he decorated the face, so to speak, where, you know, he did things that as a makeup and effects guy, I think of as somewhat obvious. And I think I see a lot of people miss because they're just looking at it as a Star Wars or a Chewie fan and they're just trying to recreate and they're not uh, seeing it through that same angle. Um, you know, things like the changing the way that you lay the hair up and changing the blend of the hair as you get closer to the face, lightening things up as you get closer to the features and things like that. Stuff that a lot of makeup guys just kind of instinctively do when you get close to a hairline, you lighten the hair up a little bit so you don't have this stark contrast. Um, and you know, people don't kind of think about that. They think Chewie is a monotone Brown with the gray accent and that's it, but he's really not. It's organic and it changes in different areas because 
that's how Stuart and Kay worked. And it's brilliant when you start to notice that. Um, but it's, uh, it's almost a challenge to take your star Wars glasses off, you know, and like, okay, just look at this as a creature. You know, this isn't Chewbacca. Um, it's, it's the old, I, I don't know if you've ever, where you're trying to draw something and you, you turn it upside down and try to draw it that way because it just takes your biases out of the equation. Mm-hmm. Chewie is a lot like that. Which, having studied all of this stuff, obviously there's at least five different Chewie masks made for different movies. Uh, probably yeah. six, unless they're reusing the one from Force Awakens when Solo comes out. Um, and right. I'm sure Stuart Freeborn thought he was improving each time. Which of the masks... Of Chewies, because you can tell the difference movie to movie just by looking at them, is your favorite. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's either the the main sort of first movie one, the one that's used sort of the most in the first movie, which has I to me has the bushier mustache, um, or the primary one from Empire, um, which. Uh, I believe the the primary one for the from Empire was a new mask. So there were two in the first movie. Um, one of them, after the movie wrapped, went to Stan Winston Studios during the holiday special, and was turned into Chewbacca's wife. <laughs> um, that mask still exists. We actually did some restoration work on it. Um, did you do it as Chewbacca or as no? Is it not as, Ma- it's Mala? It's still Mala. Okay. Yeah, it's she is still Mala right now. Um, we didn't think it was right to to erase one history to recreate another. <laughs> um, but that's that. These are questions that we always, you know, these are discussions we have with our our clients, and and they're big important topics to kind of reach and to to discuss because you just everybody's going to have a different feeling on that. Um, but. The there was the coolest thing out of that though was that they actually found in Stewart's paperwork an apology note from Stan Winston when Stan sent the mask back after the holiday special uh, he sent it back to Stewart and apparently Stewart was upset because Empire was starting production and he needed a second Chewie mask um, and so there was this note from Stan Winston, a very nice note saying, I'm so sorry. I didn't know you were going to have to reuse this. Had I known that you were going to need it again, I would have just used it as reference and recreated, you know, made Mala a different way. Um, and it was cool to see that. Um, and, but, you know, that explains why they did have to make another mask for Empire. Um, and then for Jedi, I would assume you know, they were just reskinning either of the two masks that they had at that point. Um, I but say, I, I like the. F- I Sorry. love his yeah. hair in Jedi, though. Like with that. Oh, <laughs> I, I, it's it's the just floppy like, hair, Chewy. Yeah, it matches Han's hair in that movie. Oh, that's bit. funny. Yeah, it does. I see. I like him. I think I like Empire because I say I like him in the first movie. I do like the the pushed back hair. But he was a little too tightly styled, maybe in the first movie. By Empire, you know, there's something that happens with with a cool hairy mask and characters like that. Like that hair, as it gets roughed up and and you know in production, 
it starts to look more real. Um, and I feel like by Empire, he he's, his hair was a little looser. Uh, he there was just a bit of roughness to him, and and I think he looked really cool in Empire. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No. I. It's it's interesting. <laughs> what what about? And I'm curious in the same way about Vader, right? Because you can tell, like, if mm. you're really looking at that stuff, there's three different oh, gosh. Vader. Oh yeah, Vader. Yeah, it's drastically different. Yeah. yeah. So when, I see. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I was going to say. So which of those are you? Uh, oh, that's are you an into? easy one for me. Uh, first movie, Vader, one hundred percent. Um, I, I love the level of finish and distress in the mask in the first movie. Uh, it was intentionally sort of distressed. It was, um, it felt real to me. Um, the, I love the meaner brow that he's got with a little bit of a widow's peak point between his, uh, thing. There's a sort of the, the smaller chin vent is cool too. And I think there's just a, there's a meanness to that mask. The, the, the brow sits a little lower. It's just, there's something really cool about that. And the, the eyes, I, you know, everybody sort of exaggerates them. Like in Rogue One, they were just super red lenses. Um, but I do like the reddish tint that you see in the eyes in the first movie that doesn't really follow in the others. Um, by Empire and much more so by Jedi, he got so clean and glossy that I felt like, it felt propish to me and it just um, it's sort of like the chewy fur. Like I give me the beat up dusty, you know, old used um, been kicking around Vader. <laughs> um, so yeah, first one. Oh, and the, the inner robe over the shoulder armor. I yeah. love that. He feels so Jedi samurai with that. I feel like as soon as they, it's weird. There's a thing that happens where it's like, you know, but this prop is too cool. We can't cover that. You know, like I almost <laughs> feel like whoever was dressing him said that. And then they were like, oh, all right, leave it. But to me, it's just more integrated. It's more, um, I, I was just, yeah, first movie Vader, 100% head to toe. <laughs> that was so easy. While we're playing, what is your favorite? Um, <laughs> I know like so much of your love of creatures in the Star Wars mm -hmm. universe is really born of a new hope. But I'm wondering yeah. of the more recent stuff, has there been anything that jumped out at you where you're like, I love this one? Yeah. Um, oh gosh. So force awakens those guys that you barely see that are based on the old Macquarie sort of lemur chewy. The, I think they're called the Hask triplets. Yeah. Um, love those guys. Love those guys. Like by far my favorite thing out of, out of all the new creature work. Um, so yeah, there you go. <laughs> Easy. That was a quick one. Those Hask triplets are Sorry, really I'll, cool. I'll, like they, they are. are. Like they, they, to me, they feel the most in universe out of all of the new creature work too. There's, there's a ton of the, the level of quality and articulation and flexibility and, you know, I love the puppetiness of some of, of so much of what they're doing and that they're integrating, you know, human mechanics rather than just plain mechanics uh, wherever they can. I think that's brilliant. And I think the work that um, uh, Scanlon's crew is doing is so outstanding. Um, but it just in on the design side of it, 
Um, you know, those, those Hask triplets are just jump off the screen as like, Hey, we're Star Wars, you know, <laughs> in a way that the other ones maybe don't. Um, so Holly, do you have anything else? We've actually that like, we, we chopped through an hour. It goes so fast. It really Tom, does. Tom has such good stories. It whips right by. <laughs> well, we'll, well, just have we'll to do it just again. have to. Do, that sounds fun. I would love to. Yes. Uh, what else you got? Yeah. Cooking? Oh yeah. There's all kinds of stuff. Well, we, and we only barely touched on Regal Robot, which is, uh, we have a lot of cool stuff in the works. So, you know, by the next time we talk, uh, there might be, you know, all kinds of new things that we can talk about there uh, oh, for people who happen to be listening now while I'm thinking of it. Uh, so that you know, the important people that I work with don't get mad at me. Um, so we are coming up on, on a big holiday weekend. Um, and so let's, let's make some news here. Uh, there is going to be a special holiday weekend coupon, uh, that is good for black Friday Small business Saturday because we are we have big ideas and big dreams, but we are still a very small business with just you know a handful of people working at making really cool stuff uh, for folks. Um, and we'll probably extend it to Cyber Monday, um, but you know let's see how things go. So there'll be a coupon that will be going up on our Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, and that uh, those are all at Regal Robot. Um, so you can find us on all of those. Please follow us. And um, then uh, you can also go to regalrobot.com and there'll be a blog entry up probably on Tuesday or Wednesday that'll announce the sale. And, um, uh, you know, people can get uh, a little bit of a discount on things like our Mandalorian skulls and all sorts of fun stuff that could be, you know, I mean, makes a nice gift, I think, for the Star Wars fan in your life. <laughs> As I slip into the most New Yorky I can get, right? You know? <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I love Thank it. You. I um, I feel compelled to tell you that you yes. are part of the reason I have not played very much Battlefront yet. Because so we have <laughs> let walk with me here. So we have <laughs> the amazing um, um, toy case coffee table that you made. Yes. And I love it. And it went into our Thank lounge. You. And I don't uh-huh. get much time in the lounge because work has been kind of a bear for the last several mm. months and will be. And so we went down to the lounge to play and I played for about 10 minutes. And then I just handed the controller to my husband because I wanted to look at the table and open it and play with it. <laughs> and I was like, hmm. like so that's, I can move the dividers like this. I right? can move the like, dividers like that. <laughs> if that doesn't speak to the greatness of the table, that I'm like, I have a video game in my That's hand. Awesome. You play it. it. Just came I want out. to play with our new table. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Well, and uh, thank you. No, and that one is fun. Uh, I believe uh, the official title is the uh, Collector Case Storage Table. Um, it's on our website, RegalRobot.com. Look at the Star Wars section. And it's, it is, to me, it is one of those things that is like, I, and I love finding stuff like this. It like it's pushing the nostalgia button, and it just mainlines that right into yeah. your heart. Like it's just instant. It's it's based on the old uh, action figure carrying cases that so many of us had as children. Not the plastic Vader ones. These were the really cool vinyl ones with just amazing paintings on them. And um, like how cool that we're able to turn that into something functional now. Uh, and distract people from you know these video games which i'm sure will rot your brain so it's probably for the best right (laughs) 
you can do like table geometry by playing with your dividers and become smart. That's enough. right. Yeah, no, yeah. It, it is. You're it's oddly to figure out the number of Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, while my husband Brian is like, please put the lid to the table down. I'm trying to play a video game. Right, so, right. You're um, gonna get me killed. Right. What are you doing? But it's so beautiful, and I haven't gotten to spend enough time with it yet. So. Oh. <laughs> Well, I hope I hope many uh, a Greedo action figure finds a home in there. Well, you know those go on a different altar, but. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, right. <laughs> is it is the altar like a lit up smoking cantina table? Because if it's not, it should be. I'm just saying. No, that would be great, but it's a little more. You know, I founded my own um, fake religion called the Church of the Immaculate Rodian, so it's more like your standard. <laughs> altar kind of shelving you know gotcha. with the with the greedo <laughs> devotional candle and like the of course stuff. Sure. yeah 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 so that's where the greedo <laughs> things go <laughs> i love it is there like is there at least a collection basket or something in front so as people go by they can flip a coin in and be like sorry for the mess you know well, it's, it's i in assume my, that's it's in my sewing room so it doesn't get a lot of foot traffic but... <laughs> oh all right well i think you're missing an opportunity i'm just saying right, you know? right. Just pass the basket around to the cats. I don't know. Right. Probably yeah, eat yeah, any yeah. straight dimes that are in there. It's not maybe not going to work. Out. You're probably the only person who's sorry about the mess. Yeah. Right. yeah. We have a moment uh, of silence for the mess, and it's a uh, very moving and important part of our ritual every day. Anytime I say poor Greedo, I want to say it in like the the brogue of the the original actor that played Jabba yeah. from that oh, cut right. screen is cut scene. How'd you find Peregrino like that? You know, it's like oh, <laughs> every time. Nice. So good. Nice. So Holly, where can people find you? Uh you know, around. Um I'm on Twitter <laughs> as uh as Surliest Girl and I'm on Instagram as Surly Girly Five. And for my day job, I host a podcast called Stuff You Missed in History Class, which you can find at mistinhistory.com, which will connect you to all of our social media, which is basically Missed in History everywhere you can be. And then uh, I also host a little goofy fake history show with you called Fothentic History. Which is a <laughs> lot of fun. And, and uh, we spent probably a half an hour on our episode about Aqualish dissembling about... Uh, Ponda Baba's hands, which I think you'd appreciate. Oh, goodness. Yes. Uh, did you guys, uh, and I don't mean to extend the episode any further, but did you cover Pablo Hidalgo's awesome theory about that that came out at our last Cantina panel? I I didn't. So the, the shtick for the show is that it's all in-universe history. Oh, okay. So we're pretending we're historians in well, the universe. This was, and and but Pablo's does it oh, does, it does work okay. in the universe. Hit. So so yeah, it's basically so he's got the big flipper hands, you know, the big sucker hands. Um and then the fight starts up and when you cut to this scene on the ground, you know, there's that that claw hand. Uh the 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 basic werewolf hand basically. The hairy claw. Um, yeah, so Pablo in true Canadian fashion just starts ch- chuckling while we're, we're we're talking about this, and he goes, "What if it's like a hockey fight? And those are gloves, oh, like big mittens. <laughs> and like right before the fight, he's like, it's on, and he throws the gloves like a hockey player would. And that's why, as soon as the gun comes out, he's got the other hand. And I'm like, that's brilliant. That works. Perfect. I did. I was I was there for that. I remember that. That was that was good. 
Yes. This is brilliant. I and think I, we I would mentioned just it. love for that to be it. I <laughs> think we mentioned the, the my variances, new favorite theory. The variances in the historical record and that that might have been a protective covering that came off. But there I don't know go. if we went sure. specific to the Pablo version of it. <laughs> yeah, because there's no I, hockey there, I guess. Right, right. Yeah, he starts pulling Obi Wan's robe up over his head and giving him a business, you know. <laughs> Just checks him into the bar. Yeah. Right, yeah. What you doing, Aquaman? Putting on the foil. You know, he's just like old school. <laughs> like... Uh, he gets so many points for referencing Slapshot. So many points. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, uh, so uh, if anybody wants to find me they can do so at Swankmatron on Twitter and you can find all my basically everything I'm doing through there I do the show with Holly you can find my writings on StarWars.com and How Stuff Works and other places like that uh, so just find me on Twitter uh, for Full of Sith you can find us obviously at FullofSith.com if you want to leave a, uh, an email or a voice uh, voicemail do that through the the website we've got the speak pipe app there so you can just send us messages and uh find us on facebook and twitter and everywhere else and uh if you'd like to leave a review for the show um i think that's all for for all of this uh tom i want to thank you so much for for taking the time to talk to us this has been a pleasure for for me i don't know about holly though it's always <laughs> a delight to talk to tom tom is one of my favorites Ah. Right back just, at you, kid. There's lots of laughing when we're together, which I love. Right? Yeah. Yes. No, it's that's that's always the best. Uh, <laughs> it's hey, you know, we're all in this for the fun of it. Uh, it's if you take it too seriously, it all goes away. So I'm just happy to be playing in this universe from time to time, and thrilled to to chat with you guys um, on the air or off. It is always a pleasure. Yeah, it 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 has been. I I've enjoyed all of our conversations, not on the air. Even when they have to do with really <laughs> terrible movies. Terrible, terrible movies. Yeah. Down mm -hmm. Did Tom tell us where we could find all of his good stuff? Well, you talked uh, about Regal Robot. Well, what about the rest? Yeah. So, yeah, there's uh, basically at Regal Robot. That's Twitter, Instagram, and uh, Facebook. And then at Tom Spina Designs, uh, which is Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and I believe Pinterest as well. Um and uh, either regalrobot.com or tomspinadesigns.com. Uh, and, you know, Regal will show you all the cool licensed stuff that we're selling right now. And uh, Tom Spina Designs will show you all the crazy projects we've worked on through the years. And there's plenty of new stuff coming to that site. We're very lucky right now to be super busy in the studio. So over the next few months, that site's going to have a lot of updates. And uh, there's just hundreds and hundreds of projects. I hope that people go there because... I, I think if they're like us and into the stuff we are, they will get lost on our page for hours and hours. And I just hope they have a great time. No, I love seeing th uh, that stuff pop up on my Facebook and I'll just sit there and gawk at the, the work you've done. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. It's, it's really nice. Um, so for, uh, for Tom and for Holly and for, for Mike who couldn't be with us tonight, uh, I'm Brian Young. Uh, this has been the 243rd regular episode of Full of Sith, and the Force will be with you, always.
Sir, if you'll not be meeting me, I'll close down for a while. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.